This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You guys have heard me talk about Red Door Grill for almost a year now on 610 Sports Radio, and they're the proud sponsor of the Bobcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm a proud eater at Red Door Grill. In fact, my family and I love going to Red Door Grill, not just on Mondays for burgers or Thursdays for fried chicken, but just about every single day of the week. Because every time we walk into a Red Door Grill location, we're walking out of there feeling satisfied, feeling great, and knowing we got some of the best food in Kansas City. $5 burgers on Monday is where the week starts. You're not going to find a better deal than that. The best burger in town for just $5. You want some fries, it'll cost you a buck more. And then on Thursday, we have the jalapeno dipped fried chicken. That fried chicken starts marinating on Monday. It marinates on Tuesday. It marinates on Wednesday. It's got the herbs and spices to get into that chicken, and then boom, they flash fry it on Thursday to give you the best fried chicken that you'll ever have. And then, of course, happy hour every weekday, Monday through Friday from 3 to 6. That's where we cash in sometimes on Fridays as well. Enjoy those great drinks. Enjoy the great appetizer specials from 3 to 6 every single weekday at Red Door Grill. And with three locations, there's one close to everybody. 159th and Antioch, 119th and uh, Row in Town Center Plaza in Leewood and Camelot Court. And, of course, you can find the location in Brookside as well. It's Red Door Grill. For over a decade, Gordon Docking covered sports on TV right here in Kansas City. Then he switched over to the medical field. And who knew the biggest lesson he learned in his life would come from his son, Blake. You see, Blake was born with Down syndrome. And at the time, not many in Kansas City knew what Down syndrome was all about. So Blake came into this world and not only changed the lives of Gordon Docking and his family, but also changed the lives of many Kansas Cityans today. Here's the story of a father and a son and great lessons learned. Well, the title of the book is Blake and Me, The Life Lessons I've Learned from the Best Teacher I've Ever Had. And I think, Gordon, that prompts the first logical question for me. What's the best lesson Blake's taught you? Oh, there have been a lot. Uh, But I think one of the things that he has taught me uh, is to celebrate even small victories or minor accomplishments that everything is worth a celebration. Blake loves to celebrate. And and I, I tell a story in this book that was a true story. Blake does sports year-round with Special Olympics, and every Thursday for years and years and years, he bowls. And one day I was – and he's pretty good. I've seen him bowl a 180. I He normally would bowl around 100. But this day he was doing something very, very wrong, and the ball was going into the left-hand gutter about 10 feet out of his hand every single time. And he got to the 10th frame, second ball, and has a score of zero. And he – Throws that, and he's frustrated. He doesn't get frustrated off it, but he was a little frustrated too. And he rolls that last ball, and it's drifting left and drifting left and drifting left, and it hangs on and just clips the back corner pin. And in all seriousness, he spins around and throws his arms up in the air and goes, got one. And I'm laughing that he bowled a one and is celebrating. And I think there's something to learn there. If that had been me, I would have been morose. But I learned something that day, and I've learned things from him about golf, and I'm not a professional athlete. 
I think of myself as being a little competitive, but I, I don't get upset about my scores the way I maybe used to. And it's something that I have learned from him. So Blake's in his 30s now. How long did it take you to put it into perspective to kind of celebrate these small things and appreciate the little things in life? Because I'm sure being a dad who was on TV doing sports, having a son with Down syndrome wasn't the easiest thing. When did you realize, I'm going to start acting like this and behaving this way? Oh, it took a while. Uh, You know, even when Blake was young, he's trying to teach me things, and it took me a while to figure some things out. Uh, we were watching a Kansas-Missouri basketball game in the Danny Manning-Derek Chivas era, and I'm I'm off work, so I'm cheering for Kansas because I'm a KU grad, and Blake's cheering for Kansas, and then he's also cheering for Missouri. And I'm watching. I'm, no, don't, you don't, that's not what you do. He looks at me and he keeps cheering for good plays on both teams, and I start trying to figure out what's going on in his head, and he's got a lot better perspective maybe on how to enjoy sports than I do. It's not all this is good and this is bad. He's seeing the good in both sides. Your co-author David Smale is with us as well. Yes. Yeah, and the part of that story that I appreciate the most, and I I loved working with Gordon on this book, he was saying, we root for Kansas. Missouri are the evil guys. And then we put in parentheses after that, was not my finest moment as a father. (laughs) And so from that moment on, you just decided, you know, it all allegiances aside, I'm following the footsteps of my son, and I'm just going to cheer for a good game. Yeah, and that's he's demonstrated that on the the golf course, too. And and I golf a lot to this day, and I enjoy golf, and I, I have my good moments on the golf course. Blake was when he was probably about 12, was in the junior golf program over at Brookridge, where we were members at the time, and and uh, is, is playing at the end of the junior golf season. They had a two-day tournament. He's in the five-hole group, and we got to the last hole, and Blake's playing really well. And I'm walking along with the group and helping to keep score and helping to manage Blake on the course. And, and the last hole was a par three, and the pin was up close to the front, and he hit his drive right to the front fringe. And I'm excited. I'm competitive. I'm the, he he's going to have an easy par, and and maybe he can even make a birdie here, and it, and he might get a trophy in this tournament. And so he steps up, and right before he hits the ball, he did something he hadn't done all day, and he turned back around and looked at me. And then he proceeded to knock the ball way off the back of the green on purpose. And I'm going, no! <laughs> and he looks at me, he's got the biggest grin on his face I've ever seen. And then he proceeds to go back to his ball again and knocks it clear across the green again. And I'm going, finally, after about five or six more hits, he knocks it in the hole. And we get in the car, and I'm driving home, and I'm a little upset with him. I said, Blake, what was going on? And, again, he's just beaming. And he knew when the ball went in the hole, he had to go home. And he didn't care what his score was. He just likes playing golf and hitting the ball. And I'm the one that wanted the good score, and I'm the one who wanted the trophy for him and probably for me. Right. He just wanted to hit the ball and have fun. And he knew when the ball went in that last hole, he had to go home. And he just wanted to delay that a little bit. If I make a double bogey on the golf course, I think about that now from time to time. And and I just don't get as upset because I got to hit the ball a couple extra times. I still like to do well, but I, his demeanor on the golf course has taught me uh, to improve my demeanor on the course as well. 
I asked this question of Rex Hudler about a year or so ago when I did this podcast because he obviously has a mm-hmm. son with Down syndrome. My niece has Down syndrome as well. So I know when you originally get that news when your child is born, it's kind of a shock for a lot of people. And, and, and you go through a range of emotions. What was your reaction like when you found out that, that Blake had Down syndrome? Well, it, it was pretty devastating. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what Down syndrome was. And back in 1983 when Blake was born, I, I really don't think I had ever seen anybody with Down syndrome. Because when I was growing up in the Kansas City, Kansas schools and schools everywhere, people with special needs weren't mainstream in the regular schools. They went to another school, and and they were totally segregated from the regular ed community. And so Blake might have been the first person with Down syndrome that I had ever seen, and I didn't know what it was. My wife did. And when we sat in that meeting with the doctor and the nurse at the hospital and they told us they wanted to run a chromosome test for Down syndrome, my wife immediately burst into tears and now I'm freaking out because why is she so upset and I don't know what this is. And we start asking questions. And at that time, there weren't any Down syndrome support organizations in the Kansas City area. and But we were lucky. And God blessed us that day because there was a woman who had just had a baby in that hospital who had a three-year-old son at home with Down syndrome. And after we had our meeting with the doctor and the nurse, they said, there's this new mom down the hall who has a son with Down syndrome at home, and she would very much like to talk to you. And we went and talked to her, and she helped us so much, a hundred times more than what we learned in that meeting with the doctor and the nurse. And simple things like, she had a picture of her son in her purse. You carry a picture of it? That's how stupid we were about this. She helped helped us take that first couple of steps in the right direction and, and got us to the Infant Development Center at Shawnee Mission Medical Center where we could start some early childhood ed- education with Blake and, and some physical therapy. But you still had to work through this period of mourning because you it just wasn't what we expected. Mm-hmm. And... And we had this great unknown of, as to where our life was headed. And it you don't snap your fingers and get out of that. You have to take time and you have to process through the grief in the morning that we were experiencing. And once we did that, and it took some time, uh, turned out our life was great. It just wasn't what we pictured, but it was great. There, we, we were told early on an old story. And... And I mentioned this in the book, but uh, it sounds a little corny, but there's some truth to it. But they said, picture yourself getting on an airplane and fl- you're on your way to Italy. And it's going to be this great trip. And it's it's going to be you know fast and exciting and all kinds of, of adventures. And when the plane lands and you get off, you're in Holland. And you're disappointed because it's not Italy. And Holland's moving a little slower. But when you take time and learn, Holland's pretty cool, too. It's just different than Italy. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit what we were experiencing with Blake and Down syndrome. It wasn't what we were expecting, but once we learned about it, it turned out it was a pretty good thing, too. Do you look at Blake's birth as not just a blessing for you guys, but maybe a blessing for all of Kansas City and every child that was born with Down syndrome from him? Because you guys started the Down Syndrome Guild. First Downs with Down Syndrome came because of you. How much do you look at Blake's birth being the changing point for the way that people with Down syndrome kids in Kansas City can operate and function now? Well, I I think of Blake as 
being a change agent for the community. I really do. And and not just Blake, that you know, there are other parents that that we were involved with at that time that were involved in the start of the guild and and then the and then one of the parents, Larry Rouse and his wife, uh Larry and I left the Down Syndrome Guild board to start first downs for Down Syndrome. So because the guild was really great at program and really poor at raising money at the time and and First Downs has raised a ton of money. And now First Downs, as of about a year ago, First Downs and the Guild have gotten back together and they're one organization, which is great. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Blake has played a role as a change agent in this community and, and making it better for people and families involved with Down Syndrome. What have you guys been able to do? Like how much impact have you had as a family with other families with children with Down syndrome like that woman first did for you when you guys found out Blake had Down syndrome? Well, I, I think it's an ongoing thing, and I hope this book will do that same thing, that maybe somebody will pick up this book, and this will help to point them in the right direction and make them feel better about their new path in life, and we can continue to pay forward what that woman did for us. But even before the Down syndrome guild was formed, because I was on TV at the time, you know, and probably shortly after the days of black and white and stuff like that. <laughs> but the hosp- I was a bit of a known person, and word started to get out in the hospital community of Kansas City that Gordon Dockings got a young child with Down syndrome. And my wife and I started getting phone calls from hospitals that we've just had somebody born. Can you come talk to them? We don't know who else to reach out to. And uh, we even got a call from uh, the KU Medical Center, that one of their physician residents' wife had had a baby with Down syndrome, and they wanted us to come talk to them because the doctor said, we've spent an hour on this in medical school. I don't know anything. And so we went down and talked to this doctor, and that family now lives in Salina, and we run into them at Special Olympic events to this day. There was an event uh, over at the Kansas Special Olympics office oh, six months ago where they were introducing Chris Jones as their new spokesman and representative. And they had people from Special Olympics, both Kansas and Missouri, and one of the sets of parents there came up to my wife and me and said, we remember when you came and talked to us and helped us so much. So we, to this day, still hear back from people that primarily my wife talked to, uh, but some of them were me. When I worked in the hospital, uh, every once in a while I'd get called to the uh, the birthing unit because a parent was wanting to talk to somebody because they just had a baby with Down syndrome. And I was able to, uh, maybe there was a reason I wound up in healthcare because I was there to, to help out a, a few people that I've I've come to know and come to know as friends. How how many times did you walk into a room and see parents when they just got the news and they're depressed and they're down and they're upset and they're confused and they're thinking this why me type stuff. And then after that meeting, you had an effect on them and, and changed their attitude more than anything. Well, it, it happened a few times. Uh, a, a lot of times uh, my wife would be the one who would go do that because uh, sometimes it was better for the mom to go talk well, to the moms mom. Moms are a lot more sympathetic than we uh, are. You? <laughs> I, mean, come on. I know. I'm just trying to state the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there were a few times uh, at St. Mary's and at St. Joseph both where, where – uh, I did that, and I'm thinking of one instance in particular where I continue to to stay in touch with this family, and we cross paths from time to time. And and uh, this uh, 
father that I was talking to has a brother who is a physician. But the conversation we had in a waiting room over at St. Joseph Medical Center, he said that that helped him so much. And it's that ongoingness of this that that helps me to understand that, that Blake has made a difference in this community. One of the things that Hudler also shared with me is when his son was born, obviously he was still playing in Major League Baseball, and he had a why me attitude. Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me? And he said he was like running on a treadmill or something one day, and a couple of pitchers kind of looked at him and said, you need to break out of this funk and, and be back to the fun-loving guy that you are. Did you have somebody like that for you? Did you go through that, first of all, that why me stage, and then did you have somebody help you say, all right, it's time to break out of this funk? Um, I went through the why me. I don't know that anybody ever bonked me on the head and said, shake it off and, and get out of it. I think it was more of a of a time and experience thing, but it was also talking to other people that were in my situations. I, I tell a story in this book about um, I'm covering an event down at Kemper Arena where the Comets back in their heyday were having an, uh, an event that was a fundraiser for Kansas Special Olympics. And they were bringing in Eunice Kennedy Shriver, the founder of Special Olympics, as, as part of this event. So I'm there at this news conference, and the major sponsor for this event was J.E. Dunn Construction. And while I'm there, Bill Dunn Sr., who I'd never met, put his arm around my shoulder and walked me into a back corner of the room. He said, I've just heard about your son who was born who has Down syndrome. I want you to know that I have a daughter, Mary, who has Down syndrome. And everything's going to be fine for you. Don't worry about it. You're going to be just fine. And that had such an impact on me because Bill Dunn and the Dunn family has had such incredible success. And their life with Mary made their lives better. It didn't make it worse. And and talking to Bill and hearing him tell tell stories about Mary and, and, and the impact that she'd had on their family made me realize that maybe that was what got me off the treadmill. You know, just little moments like that where, where other people were telling me I was going to be okay. Maybe that's what helped get me off Hudler's treadmill. Yeah. And you mentioned that with Hudler. He's told me that same story. The pitcher on the, on the treadmill next to him was Jim Abbott. Jim Abbott, yeah, who had one hand. <clears throat> yeah. Who had one yeah. hand yeah. and pitched in the major league. So certainly brought it to perspective for him. Yeah, and, and with a guy with one hand saying, hey, you're going to be okay. If I could pitch a big league baseball with one yeah. hand, yeah. your son's yeah. going to be just fine. And yeah. You have those moments. And, and, and as a sports guy, obviously, you have a son, you want him to play sports. You have a son with Down syndrome, you're like, okay, what can we do from here? But you didn't just play sports. You developed a, a Hall of Fame athlete uh, <laughs> as a father with a child with Down syndrome. Let, let's start from the beginning. How did you decide all of a sudden that you were going to get Blake into the uh, the Kansas Special Olympics, and that was a path that you guys wanted to go down? Well, it it started um, with a man named Kirk Miles, who was the executive director of Kansas Special Olympics for a long time, when, back when Blake was born. And athletes can't participate in Special Olympics until they're eight. That's the minimum age. But when Blake was about one, Kirk Miles asked me to be on the Kansas Special Olympics Board of Directors. And I thought, well, I didn't know anything about Special Olympics. And as a sports guy, I'd never sent a camera to cover a Special Olympics event. 
I said, this will give me an opportunity to learn about this organization. And I did, and and I was on that board for seven years. But when Blake became old enough to participate, I had now educated myself about Special Olympics, and I decided I would rather coach than make policy. And so I left the board of directors and started coaching. And I was a swimmer at KU back in the day. I was incredibly average for a college swimmer, but I was a college swimmer. And I coached the Olathe Special Olympic swim team for 25 years. And I got great joy out of that. Um, my son Blake swims butterfly, and not a lot of people can do that. Yep. Uh, so he swims very well. And I think some of my greatest joys in life have been teaching people with special needs who don't know how to swim how to successfully swim because it's it's not just a sport but it's a lifetime skill that's important for safety reasons mm-hmm. and i had one young man who uh, uh went to Olathe North High School and was 6 foot 7 wow uh african american and was about 16 years old and wanted to learn how to swim and so i would physically get in and and he was a handful, but over the course of one Special Olympic swim season, taught him how to swim the length of the pool. Now, as tall as he was, he didn't have to take a lot of strokes, right. but he was terrified of the water. And and uh, teaching that young man to swim, and now he has a lifetime skill that can keep him safe and that will let him enjoy the water, That that was one of my real success stories, I think, as a Special Olympics coach. I want to know more about Blake and being in the uh, Special Olympics Hall of Fame in the state of Kansas. Like, what sports is th- does he do? What sports is he a Hall of Famer at? And and how did he, you know, get the knack and pick all this up? Well, the Hall of Fame is doesn't. It's kind of a lifetime achievement award. It doesn't necessarily go to the best athletes, but I think maybe to the uh, the most active athletes who participate for a long time and participate successfully. Blake participates year round and and he does basketball and volleyball and track and swimming golf softball snow skiing they do do snow skiing at, at snow creek and i'm sure i've left out a couple of things in there too but it's a year round thing for him and 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 he, and he does everything fairly well and twice he at the special olympics national games he got picked to represent the state of kansas in golf in nine hole individual stroke play golf and in one year uh, in in uh, Ames, Iowa, in 06, he won a gold medal in his division. And four years later in Lincoln, Nebraska, he won a bronze medal in a higher-level division. He played better uh, and, and got a bronze medal in, uh, that year. But uh, I got to caddy for him, oh, which was really awesome. fun. Yeah. And, and, and just to, uh, to go through that experience with him was, was just great. Um, when he's finished with one sport, he's ready to move on to the next, and he just he loves the the socialness of it, the competitiveness of it. Uh, he shoots a basketball pretty well for someone who's five two, doesn't like to be guarded close. And one of the funniest things I've ever seen is in a basketball tournament, and Blake's dribbling the ball trying to get his shot off, and the guy's just all over him, and he stops and goes, "Get back!" And the guy does, and he shoots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is great. I I know as a dad now, like when you're younger and you're in your 20s, it's all about you. It's all about your personal accomplishments. 
Nothing for me has ever been more satisfying than see my kids achieve success. What's that like for you to watch Blake and see him have all this success in sports? Uh, it, it's very rewarding to me to to see that, uh, and, and not just in sports but in life. You know, I, I enjoy seeing the success he's had on the, you know, on the sports fields and in the pool and and uh, and the enjoyment that he gets on the golf course and. and and, and hitting the softball and, and everything else. But uh, I think one of the, the great days was the day he graduated from high school. And my daughter Kelly graduated from KU that same day. So we're in – it's a parent's nightmare. Yeah. Because KU has an outdoor graduation, and you're just hopeful the weather's good so it's not delayed. Uh-huh. But it was a great day at KU, and we're up there and, and go through Kelly's graduation. Then we race back to Olathe East. And my wife was a teacher at Olathe East, so – they saved us some seats so that we could uh, have a place to sit and 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 watch Blake go through his graduation and and Blake was the manager of the soccer team uh, and actually played in a couple of games his senior year and and was a and was the manager of the basketball team and they had a very good basketball team uh, his senior year and and to see as he walked across the stage and I'll get a little emotional here and they announced his name student body gave him a standing ovation and it was spontaneous and i've got the camcorder on my shoulder <laughs> right and it got real shaky and it was uh you know your goal for any of your kids is you want them to matter and to make a difference and just that moment made me realize that Blake made a difference for all of his classmates and everybody at Olathe East High School and i was I was really proud that day. How do you think he made a difference for those students? I think he made them realize that while he has Down syndrome, he's a lot more like them than not like them. And I think that they they realize Blake's a person. He's a good person. He's someone they like to be around. And uh, and I think going forward, he will make a difference in their lives when they encounter other people with special needs. I need some tips on coaching. You coached uh, uh, kids with Down syndrome and other uh, you know, disabilities and whatnot. What's your secret? What's your secret to success in coaching these kids? Patience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really patience. And, and, but I will also tell you, as a swim coach, I was a hard ass. And I wore every – we always had swimming practice on Wednesday nights, and everybody slept well on Wednesday night because I I worked them hard. And parents thanked you for that. Yes, <laughs> I, I but but they worked hard, and uh, our laps we had two different swimming practices. There was the developmental group, the group that's learning to swim. That's more one on one individual instruction, and we've got volunteers in the pool, and I'm coaching the volunteers to coach the swimmers to teach them how to swim. Then we had our lap swimming group. And, and lap swimmers would go for 45 minutes, and we would get up to the point where we'd swim about 800 yards, 32 lengths of the pool uh, by the end of end of the swim season. And, and so people got in pretty good shape, and that's about a half a mile. That's yeah. a that's a long way to swim. And these guys worked hard, and when the swim season was over, they were they were in pretty good shape, and and 
I always thought that was important. One of the things we, we kind of touched on earlier was the first downs for Down syndrome. And I think everybody in Kansas City knows about first downs for Down syndrome. They just had their walk a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Everybody's I think that I know has ever participated in it, been involved in it. You obviously got that going and got that started. How much with your connection to TV and then your connection with the Chiefs helped you get that started? And would you have been able to do that if you didn't have that connection with the Chiefs? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, when we started first downs for Down syndrome, we it really started in Phoenix uh, with the head football coach there, Gene Stallings. Yeah, he, he had. A, I remember when he wanted Alabama as son with Down right. syndrome, right? And he had a son with Down syndrome, and first downs for Down syndrome in Phoenix failed, but we we were able to get a hold of their playbook. Uh, they had a ring binder and and uh, went through it and figured out what would work here and what wouldn't and what would we have to do different. And we went to the Chiefs and proposed the idea to them, and they said, well, we'd be on board with you if if you can raise $25,000 before the start of the preseason games. And so the pressure was on because we had about six weeks, and we got out and found five sponsors in six weeks that would each give us $5,000 so that the Chiefs would work with us but we had to do that to prove that we were legit, mm-hmm. and and then we did that every year, and uh, but I don't think the Chiefs. I knew people in the you know, Phil Thomas and others in the Chiefs front office at the time. Uh, I don't know if I hadn't been in the role that I'd been in. in I don't know that we would have got through the door, mm-hmm. but but we did. It worked out, and and it's been around a long time. What was what were the players' reactions like when they got to meet the kids and and participate and be around and help and play with the kids? Well, it's been really positive. And you know, Tim Grunhard was a rookie when we started, which tells you how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. And we went over to the stadium, and the first time I met Tim, we were taking the first picture to go in the Chiefs game day program, and. Tim was going to be number 61, and they got a number 61 jersey out. And Tim was a big dude, and then they didn't even have his jersey made yet. And so they got Mark Attic's old 61 jersey, which Tim could hardly get on, even without shoulder pads. And we took that picture, and uh, and then Tim has continued to have a to this day have a strong relationship with that organization. And we've been able to to reel in others along the way, like Will Shields and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Waters and John Tate was involved, and Casey Wigman was heavily involved for a long time. And um, I think one of the lucky breaks we we did at the time is we said we want to align our organization with the Chiefs' offensive linemen because they don't get a lot of attention. And because of that, I think they really liked the fact that we wanted to be with them, and that made them uh, more excited and, and energized to to be involved with our guys. You were on TV for 12 years in Kansas City, 80 to 92. Some good years, some not so good years yeah. for some stuff. You got to see, you know, the, the Royals win a world championship that year. Is, was that your best moment kind of covering sports in Kansas City back in 85? It, 85 was a good year. 88 was a good year as a Kansas grad sure. because of the Kemper Arena National Championship for yeah. Danny and the Miracles. Uh, one of my favorite moments, though, from 85, uh, being a TV guy, the uh, – we we were in an outdoor auxiliary press area behind home plate under the screen back when the screen went all the way up. And uh, they came back for game six, and I had gotten my wife a, a, a ticket up in nosebleed, and 
And uh, she just had a royal shirt on, and uh, you know that was the the miraculous win. And she came uh, after the game. Uh, I said, "Just meet me down by the dugout." And the security off-duty officers are trying to shoo everybody off. And she said she was waiting for me, and he's motioned her down, helped her to sit in the dugout. Said, "You can wait for him here in the dugout." So the next day, she wore a dress and worked her way down, and that was a blowout win. And Again, she comes by about the eighth inning, and I hand her my sport coat because I don't want to get it drenched with champagne in the locker room. And oh, that was the best part about 14 and 15 was getting soaked in champagne. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but but the story gets better. So celebration on the field when the game's over. She spent the last half inning sitting right behind Peter Uberoff as she's working down to better seats. Mm-hmm. Actually peeled his name sticker off his chair and has it on the back of her program. Um, the same police officer saw her and while they're trying to shoo everybody away, motioned her down on the field and she's waiting in the dugout has no press credentials and people are coming off the field and going up the tunnel. And she goes, I wonder where they're going. So she just blended in and she walks in. They've got a press area set up under the stands there and Whitey Herzog's going off about Don Denkinger. And she listened to that for a little bit and uh, other people are coming and going and she winds up out in this foyer at the time, but, where the elevators are between the two clubhouses. And she's standing there, and the doors are locked. And they're not letting anybody in. So she's just standing there, and the elevator doors open, and the royals' wives walk into that area. And she goes, well, I wonder what they're talking about. So she kind of drifts over and eavesdrop with the royals' wives for a minute. Somebody comes out of the locker room and says, how come the wives are still out here? Let them in. So she just meanders on into the locker room with <laughs> the royals' wives. wives. right? I'm in the locker room interviewing John Wathan, and I turn around, and there's my wife talking to Mayor Berkeley. <laughs> and I look at it, and I'm freaking out. And I'm going, you don't know me. <laughs> but she uh, she's a big believer that if you act like you know what you're doing and you dress well, you can get pretty much anywhere. That's pretty much the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to act like it's like the old George Siskanzen line. Put your head down, walk fast, carry a folder, and look busy, and people will think you got something going on. <laughs> So then you go and you start you know, doing pre- and post-game stuff for the Chiefs. What's your best Chiefs story from being around that organization for as long as you were? Oh, well, I've got, a, I've got Chiefs stories going back to the old stadium as a kid uh, when my dad had season tickets. And I would, at Municipal Stadium, right across the aisle from my dad's seats, Roger Maris and Norm Seaburn had season tickets. And I didn't know any of the guys on the field, but I knew who Roger Maris was, so I'd go watch Roger Maris watch the game, which, as a kid at that in the '60s, was really cool. Yeah, doing doing the post game show. You know, I I worked with a lot of people, a lot of different partners over the years, and Duran Cherry and Joe Valerio and Jack Rudney when I first started, and so I got to meet a lot of a lot of people doing that. Got to interview a number of uh, a number of people at the time. Uh, but I think one of my most interesting memories was after a really particular tough loss, and we were doing the show this day from Fuzzy South, and I had been a little, and we're on the Chiefs Network, mm-hmm. and I'm doing this part time, and I'm working in the hospital business at the time, and I was a little harsh on the Chiefs because I don't know it might have been the Lynn Elliott game or it was something like that where it was a particularly difficult game. And Carl Peterson calls up and is telling the Fox employee to tell me to tone it down. 
which I thought was kind of interesting that Carl was was listening and, sure. and and cared what Gordon Docking was saying. I don't know that it changed me, but I thought it was that was an interesting moment. Hey, at least he called and didn't talk behind your back. Though. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And so here we sit today. You've got the book out, Blake and me, and and I'll get David's thoughts on this as well. With a guy who's close to retirement, why did you decide to write a book? I, I, I've been thinking about this book for a long time. Uh, Back to when I was working in healthcare and traveling a lot, I thought, I'm riding on all these airplanes. I ought to start working on this book. But I, I, don't know, I know how to write, but I didn't know how to, to make a book. And then one of my best friends, and I think I talk about this in the introduction, had really been hassling me for probably 10 years about, have you started that book yet? And uh, last week I delivered a signed copy to him. And he kept saying, I'm from Missouri. you got to show me. And I said, I hope this shows you the book is done but uh it it just was was a matter of uh of just knuckling down and getting to it i met david back when i was in the tv business back in the 80s and i knew that he helped people with books and so i'd never forgotten that and we lost contact but uh he helped another friend of mine with a book and i talked to him and he got me in touch with david and we got together and i think in about April. So between April and now, we, we got this thing done and published. So it's been an interesting and enjoyable and educational process. And David's been great to reconnect with, too. Is it uh, every sportscaster in town now needs something to do, David? So you're going to find him and write him a book? Am I next on this list? Hey, if you, if you want to be. If you want to be. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed doing that. Uh, as you know, I've written a bunch of books. Yeah. Uh, this one's number 19. Uh, most of them... You know, I've read <clears> 19 books. <laughs> I haven't either, but I've written that many. Uh, but this was, you know, I'm not saying this because, because Gordon's sitting next to me. This was maybe the most important one I've done because it's, yeah, it has to do with sports. It has to do with a friend of mine, you know, as he said, we've known each other since the early 80s. Um, but this one is about more than sports. And he talked about some of his favorite life lessons, and, and I learned stuff. You know, I've met Blake. And he's he's the same guy that Gordon described to me. But I've learned some life lessons just by taking what Gordon said and, and writing it out. And and my favorite one, <clears throat> my favorite story in all these, since you ask, mm-hmm. uh, is, <laughs> is uh, stop practicing and just play. And the story is Gordon's got a couple of really good buddies. One of them <clears throat> is the one he was just talking about. And one of the guys is, a, is the average golfer. He takes a couple of practice wings and hits the ball. And the other guy, <clears throat> excuse me, takes six practice swings every single shot. Well, the first guy rides the second guy a lot, and Blake's next practice swing will be his first. He'll get up never there. Never one in his life. He'll, he'll get up there. That's where it goes. And he'll hit it, and it'll go. And so one of the guys says to the other guy, after he takes six practice swings and duffs it, why don't you just play like Blake? He's playing better than you. And he doesn't take all these practice swings, so the guy steps up to 18, tees up his ball, says okay, and hits his best drive of the day. Stop practicing and stop playing. And with each of these, each of these stories, we then say, how does this apply to real life? We spend so much time overanalyzing what we're going to do. Plan it. Certainly be ready to do what you need to do, but then stop you know, the paralysis by analysis. Analysis, paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. Stop that. Just get ready and then just go do it. And I've changed some things, even in the way I write books. Okay, stop trying to make every sentence perfect. Write what I'm thinking. Go back and read it. Maybe change it. 
but stop practicing and start doing it. So I've loved this. Uh, you know, it's good to reconnect with Gordon. Um, and it's led to a couple other ideas that, that I'm working on. Um, but it's important because it's, it, it, it applies to all of us, whether we have a disability or not. Did you get everything out of it that you would write in this book? Did it, did it help you have an even better relationship with Blake and looking back at everything that you guys accomplished together? Not just Blake, but, but my wife and my daughter, too. My daughter wrote the foreword. I thought that was important. She would have a unique perspective as Blake's only sibling. And then I write like a sportscaster. My wife's a school teacher, retired. And it's important to her that Every sentence have a subject and a, ver- <laughs> a preterite and a verb and, yeah. and nouns and, and complete sentences and not fragments and consistent verb tense through, you know, through stories. And, and uh, she was my strictest, toughest editor on this. And, and uh, we grew very close again editing this book together. And, and, and that was painful at the beginning and it became enjoyable toward the end hopefully you learned a ton from our conversation with gordon docking like i did that you can learn life lessons from anywhere you look including a newborn baby check out gordon's book blake and me at all area booksellers and at gordondocking.com okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.